Welcome to Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. Today is all about humor in our sermon series on the pillars of joy. Laughter is central to the human experience, and even feels essential to being human. We use laughter to develop bonds with others or to help get us through difficult seasons of life. It is used to entertain people and even used to comment on social issues. Laughter and humor is important, but what makes it a pillar of joy? Hopefully this sermon will give a little bit of insight into that question. So enjoy. humor connected to joy? How is humor holy? Well, the, the last two Sundays, we looked at humility last Sunday, and, you know, I'd make suggestions to Alex for songs to play, and he either accepts them or rejects them, and I, I asked him to sing the classic hymn last Sunday, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. When you're perfect in every way, I can't help but look in the mirror. Cause I get better looking each day. <laughs> to know me is to love me. Cause I am one heck of a guy. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. He didn't like that classic hymn. <laughs> And the one that I wanted him to sing today was The Joy of the Lord is My Strength. How many of you remember that one? And there's this chorus, and I'm, I'm going to sing it, okay? Just warning you. And you're not allowed to laugh, okay? <laughs> the joy of the Lord is my strength. 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 Ha 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 but one of the most surprising things to me in seminary, honestly, as I studied the Bible, was to see how much humor was in Scripture. That was one of the most surprising things to me. And I think it was so surprising to me because the God that I imagined was not a God I felt like I could laugh with. The God that I imagined was, seemed to de demand absolute serious reverence at all times. And if we broke that serious rev reverence, the consequences would be dire. But reading the Bible and finding out the humor in Scripture made me second-guess that rigid, serious God that I couldn't laugh with made me reimagine the picture of God that I went to seminary holding on to. Because there's humor all throughout the Bible. 
Right from the beginning, we see Sarah laughing at the absurd claim that she would have a baby in her 90s. I would laugh too, right? And then only to name her son Isaac, which in Hebrew literally means one who laughs. That's what the name Isaac means. And I think Sarah named him that as a way of saying, well, God really does have the last laugh, right? All throughout the Old Testament, we see floating axe heads, talking snakes, talking donkeys, cows repenting of their sins in the book of Jonah, and royal guards quietly giggling to each other in the book of Judges because of the noises their king made in the bathroom. That's the, in our holy book, in scripture. And the New Testament isn't any different. There's humor there too. In, in the gospel of Mark, Jesus gets hangry. Do we know what the word hangry means? We get angry and hungry at the same time. We get hangry. We, we know this because Jesus walked up to a fig tree wanting something to eat. And his disciples are all there looking at this happen. This is the man who multiplied fish and bread for 5,000 people, right? He walks up to a fig tree and sees that there's no fruit there. And what does Jesus do? He curses the fig tree saying, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, and walks away. How many of us have said similar curses when we stand in front of an empty fridge, right? <laughs> and probably one of my favorite humorous passages is in the book of Acts, when Paul was preaching for a long, long, long time. And he preached for so long that a boy fell asleep and fell out of a third-story window. Not only can we see that people have been falling asleep during sermons since the beginning of the church, <laughs> but we can also see why church sanctuaries are now built on the ground floor, right? So if anyone does fall asleep, we're all safe. And the next iteration is going to be seatbelts and pews, right? So we're, we're all nice and secure. And having just celebrated Easter Sunday, I have to mention the humor that is even in the Gospel of John on the day of the resurrection. As you're reading through the Gospel of John, one of my favorite humorous parts is every single time John seems to be talking about himself, he doesn't name himself, but he says, G and then the disciple whom Jesus loved, said that to Jesus. Or every time John seems to be talking about himself, he says, and then the disciple whom Jesus loved, he talks, he's talking about himself. Well, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, John writes in his gospel that both Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved were running to the tomb. But the disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter and made it there first, right? And can you imagine that conversation between Peter and John once they made it to the tomb? John's like, ha, I beat you. And Peter's like, John, who's gonna know? It doesn't matter. And then John's writing his gospel later. Peter, everyone's gonna know that I beat you. <laughs> Everyone, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved beat him to the tomb. The Bible really intentionally presents us with points of humor, that it, and, and I think this is because the Bible encompasses all of human experience. We should, instead of looking at the Bible as all serious all the time, 
we should be curious as to why we've been taught to read the Bible as humorless. Because there are, so cows repenting in the book of Jonah, that was like one of the first things that I learned in seminary. I could not believe that it was in our holy scriptures. But one of, the th- one of the things that we keep, I think, misunderstanding about the Bible is that it's, it's supposed to encompass all of human existence. And humor is such a flourishing, important part of being human. Imagine life without laughter. How dry and how sorrowful would that be to not have humor Yet we must ask this question, how is humor holy? How is it connected to joy? Because we, we can see, what is that? Does anyone else hear that? Okay, it's not just me. I'm not just going crazy. Is it an uh, AV thing? Do you guys hear that? I, I depend on the sound booth to fix that. No, I'm just kidding. That's really spooky. I'm going to come down here with you guys. Um, sorry, that was really distracting. Because uh, we know that there are, there are senses of humor that can be derogatory, demeaning, that is only funny to the person who's saying it, and they're tearing down someone else. So we have to ask, how can humor be sacred? How is humor holy? Douglas Abrams, who's been someone who works with spiritual directors and leaders for the majority of his life, after working with so many spiritual leaders, he said this, I'm tempted to say that a sense of humor is a universal indicator of spiritual elevation. Instead of humor distracting us from God, as I once thought, of taking us away from the seriousness of our faith, a sense of humor can actually be a way that we connect with God and each other on a deeper level. We can all agree that humor is powerful. It has the power to bring deeper insight and deeper connection between God and each other. Humor translates to trust. Remember that last time that you shared a belly laugh with someone? Do you know how hard it is to not be connected with the person that you're laughing with? When you're sharing a genuine, sincere, good laugh with someone, that trust is built, that connection is solidified, and humor can be a sacred moment that you're spending with someone else. We've all experienced that sincere, genuine connection that laughing together can bring. When we are capable of laughing at the absurdity of our own prejudice, our own bias, our own hate, when we are able to laugh at the absurdity of death and how it just shouldn't be this way, then we are able to communicate with sincerity and compassion our love for each other. Humor is one of the best ways to fight contempt, cruelty, and uncertainty in our own hearts. Like everything else, humor is a quality, though, that requires cultivating. You have to practice a good sense of humor. And a good place to start is recognizing that the dumb things we go through happen to everyone, (laughs) right? The dumb things that we go through, the annoying things, they're part of our shared human experience. And it's an important thing to laugh at. Bishop Tutu says this, and I I love how he frames this. 
Joy does not save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we are just more alive. That's more, not move. Yet as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that enables rather than embitters. We have hardship without becoming hard and we have heartbreak without being broken. I love the way he framed that. Joy makes us more alive. So we may cry more easily, but it is because we are more in touch with reality when we are a joyful people. We may laugh more easily too for the same reason, being more in touch with reality. As I wrote this sermon, I could not help but think of one of the people that really embodied joy and sincerity and humor in my own life, my friend Charles. Charles was a nuclear physicist in his 80s and a longtime member of the very first church that I pastored. He led Sunday school every single week, and he was there every time the church held an event. And he was always there to give a helping hand. He had funded and helped build Africa Nazarene University, and he helped found the very ministerial scholarship that I would receive at Northwest Nazarene University. But I didn't hear about those things from him. <laughs> I heard about those things from other people who were talking about the work that he had done in the world around him. He worked on projects as a nuclear physicist that he still wasn't allowed to talk about in retirement. And I just loved listening to his life journey. I was a 26-year-old pastor who was placed in an 80-year-old church to lead that place. I was the number 14th pastor in that church's history. And he had been part of that church for many, many, many years. It would have been very easy for Charles to treat me like a child. It was my first pastorate. I was a greenhorn right out of seminary. I knew I didn't know anything, right? But given his lifelong experience in the church, he could have easily criticized my every decision and joined others who did criticize my every decision. He could have gotten upset at some of the new things I did and some of the new music, which I knew he didn't like but I wanted to try. But he treated me like I was his pastor from day one. And my friends, being a young pastor, especially all by myself, stepping into the, to lead a church for the first time was a really difficult and really scary thing to do. All the eyes are on you, if you can imagine that, as the pastor and every single look is on your decision, the decisions that you make. It can be a really scary, isolating place to be sometimes. But Charles believed in me. I was beginning my career. He was retired. He is in his 80s. I was in my 20s. And he believed in me at times when many other people in the church didn't believe in me at all. It meant more to me than I could ever express to Charles. Charles was one of those people who was very quiet, very humble, and yet very wise. We all know people like that who they, people listen to when they speak, right? 
And Charles was one of those people that everyone listened to when he spoke. And it was always so inspiring and insightful. I, I learned later on that Charles lost the love of his life a few years before I got there. She was everything to him, and it really broke his heart when she died. He was living in their same house all alone, and I noticed and even in his vocabulary, when he would talk about his life, he would still use the words we and us because it was just a habit and because he missed her so much. He still said we and us when he talked about himself. And one Tuesday evening, we had been praying together. We had Tuesday meeting, uh, prayer meeting every week. And afterwards, Charles and I got into a really serious conversation about death. He was talking about how much he missed his wife and how all the years behind him and how he has less life ahead of him than he does behind him and how death is a real prospect for him. And he was letting me, a 20-year, in my 20s, minister to him and talk with him and have this serious conversation about death and the afterlife and what God may plan for us. We cried together and we laughed together. And right at the end of the conversation, I'll never forget what he said. He leaned over to me and he's like, you know, Ben, when I die, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather did and not kicking and screaming like the other passengers in his car. And I literally could, uh, my eyes were full of tears from just crying in a sacred moment. And I couldn't believe my ears that he had made that joke right then during prayer meeting. I couldn't believe my ears. <clears throat> but we know what those sacred moments feel like, right? Where we have cried, we feel hopeless, and then yet humor can rise up in the most unexpected places. Well, one Sunday, he never showed up to teach Sunday school, and I knew something was wrong. I went to his house right after service and called the police to do a wellness check, and we all waited outside Charles's house to find out what was going on, and Charles had passed away peacefully in his sleep at 86 years old. And I got to talk. He asked that I would officiate his funeral, which again honored this young pastor, and I got to talk all about Charles at his funeral. Like so many funerals I have officiated, there were so many tears, but so much laughter too. I got to tell the story where serious Charles was at our board meeting and we had a squirrel infestation in this 80-year-old church. That noise that we heard during service, that was nothing compared to squirrels running across the roof that I had to preach and compete with every Sunday. That's why I'm pretty loud on Sundays because I've been competing with squirrels for eight years. All right. But he had this plan. He came to board me and he's like, pastor, I've developed a plan to get rid of our squirrels. We're going to baptize them into church membership. That way they only show up on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> and if that doesn't work, we'll circumcise one of them in front of the rest and scare them off all completely forever. And when that church, that small church was packed to the rafters of people that Charles' life, his dignity, his humor, his light had touched in impact. That one person walking in humility and grace and integrity and wisdom, we were able to laugh and cry together because of the light of the joy that he brought to the world. There's an old tradition in the church called Holy Humor Sunday. 
And it was always the Sunday after Easter. And Christians would gather together to just throw a massive party. They would tell jokes and laugh together and eat great food. I think it's a tradition we should restore in the church. They did this because of the reality that Jesus conquered death. And because Jesus conquered death, they were able to have joy that they could laugh in the face of the current suffering and death because death would no longer have the last word. Suffering and death think that they're so powerful and so great that they will have the last word over our existence. But we serve God who will always have the last laugh. The God of life the God of resurrection. And because of that hope that we have, because of the trust that we have, that sacred connection we have together, humor can be such a sacred way of building up our joy and hope even when everything around us seems lost. Listen again to that quote from Bishop Tutu. Joy does not save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we are just more alive. Yet as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that enables rather than embitters. We have hardship without becoming hard, and we have heartbreak without being broken. Here's just a few action steps for you this week to look uh, for humor as a pillar of joy. Read your favorite Bible passages again. And as it was for me, maybe you struggle to find humor in Scripture. Um, The book of Jonah is a great place to start. Everything is repenting except for Jonah, who is God's messenger, right? The wind and the waves, a boat full of pagans like whales. Everything is repenting. Livestock, it ends with cows repenting even. And Jonah's still angry under a bush. If you're not laughing at the end of that, the author's like, why aren't you laughing? That's what I meant for you to do. Laugh at this story because Jonah is representation of Israel's stubbornness to reach out to who they thought were their enemies, the Ninevites, right? So it's such an important part to look for humor. And you can find those giggling, um, giggling guards in the book of, of Judges. Maybe that's a place for you to start too. But look for humor in the Bible. It's there and you won't be disappointed. And make time to laugh with someone who loves you. Laughter is an important part of your weekly rhythm, whether you believe it or not. Sometimes I can get through my week and my wife is my best friend. But sometimes I can look at my whole week and say, when was the last time we actually laughed together? When was the last time that we laughed until we cried together? And it's such an important thing to try to make moments to where we can watch something funny, we can read something funny, we can just talk about funny experiences in our life and just enjoy each other's company as we laugh. So make that a priority to have moments where you're not taking life so seriously. Because friends, I can tell you, like scrolling on social media, the news, all these things, that can get you in a habit of taking things so seriously that you forget to find those sources of joy in life too. So make those moments a priority. 
And then lastly, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. downtown, we get to hear from our new bishop um, over this conference. Um, so I want to invite you to be able to do that. I'm sure he's funny. I'm not promising that he's funny, but I'm sure there'll be some humor in what he says. Uh, but it's going to be great as a new Methodist myself. It's new experience for me to have a bishop in the first place. And so I'm excited to be down there at, at NLI um, enjoying the the. Uh, camaraderie of my peers in the United Methodist Church and come and meet our new bishop and hear him speak Wednesday night, 7 p.m. at our downtown um, campus. None of us likes to look foolish, but what is sillier? Chasing after the world's definition of power or being a fool for Christ? imitating him in service to others, offering ourselves in love and joy to the world. Let's admit to God the foolish choices that we each make every day and pray saying this prayer together. You know better than we do, God, what important people we believe we are, believing we have to be serious all the time. We miss out on the joy of your creation. Choosing the feast on the pain of the world, we skip the picnic offered in paradise. Clinging to the despair, which is our best friend, we ignore Jesus who can bring us home to your heart. Forgive us, heart of joy, and make us open to the startling, upside-down ways in which you work. Fill us with Easter's laughter, Fill us with your healing joy and fill us with the love poured onto us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.